0: Welcome back to Behind the Knife and our absite review series. We really appreciate your support over the years. Continue to support us by following us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, subscribe to the podcast, and go to our YouTube channel for additional absite content and review and subscribe to our channel there. The high yield review sheets and stat sheets that we previously published are also available on our Facebook page. In addition, Make sure to go to Amazon and find our podcast companion book. You can search for Behind the Knife and you'll find it there. It's $10. We made it as cheap as possible and all proceeds go towards improving the educational content for our podcast. Dominate the app site and let's get into it. All right, let's jump right back into it. So we're going to start off with some hepatobiliary lesions. We'll start off with cystic lesions first. Uh, So... Uh, Woo! when I say coleodocal cyst, what comes to mind? What are those? Tell us a little bit about them.
1: Yeah, so coleodocal cysts, um, their etiology is unknown, but it's likely secondary to an anomalous biliary pancreatic duct junction uh, that can generate reflux of pancreatic enzymes. And so these patients also tend to have a long, common uh, BP duct. Most of these are identified and treated in early childhood. They can cause pain, biliary obstruction, and cirrhosis. Uh, overall, you can break them apart into the Todani classification. Um, and we'll go through these. Uh, there's one through five. Okay. So, let's just go through these systematically. So, uh,
0: this is, again, the Todani classification for cyst. cysts. Um, as Wu said, typically in, in childhood, um, not really sure why they they happen, but it's that if, if they had to put your money on something, it'd be that anomalous biliopancreatic duct with a long, common BP duct, and there's reflux up, and it causes these cysts. So,
1: woo, type 1 colidocal cyst, what is that? So, type 1 is a fusiform dilation of the extrahepatic biliary tree. Okay, and how do you treat those? With resection and a hepaticojejunostomy. Now, we should have mentioned it, but
0: aside from, you know, these potentially being symptomatic and causing obstruction, why do you have to resect these?
1: They carry malignant potential.
0: Correct. Okay, so type 1 fusiform dilation of the extrahepatic biliary tree, resect, hepaticoje for that. Kevin, type 2. What's a type 2
2: colidocal cyst? So this is the sacular diverticulum of the common bile duct. Okay, and how do you treat that? I think of it as like a little appendix coming off. Uh, and so for this, you can generally just excise it. Um, but then a lot of times you need to do a ruin wide biliary enteric reconstruction. Yep. So these are a diverticulum in the common bile duct, excise the
0: cyst. Um, it, it is, um, and you'll likely have to do some form of reconstruction with that.
1: Woo, type 3 colidocal cyst. So type 3 is also called the seal. It's a dilation of the intramural duct. You can approach these transduodenally and do a transduodenal excision with sphincteroplasty. Yep. So seal,
0: uh, uh, it's the intramural duct. So you do a transduodenal approach and either excise or you do a sphincteroplasty. Okay. So type 4 is broken up into two. There's 4A and 4B. Uh, Kevin, what's a type 4A and then what's a type 4B?
2: So the four A is multiple dilations of both the intra and extrahepatic ducts. Uh, for the four A, you do a hepatic resection and a biliary reconstruction with a hepaticojejunostomy. Yep, so do hepatic resection of the involved seg- of the involved segments, um, and then do your biliary reconstruction. Okay, four B. And the four B is just uh, multiple dilations of the extrahepatic ducts alone. Mm-hmm. So you do an excision with hepaticojejunostomy.
0: Yep. So again, four A is dilations of the intra and extra hep- hepatic ducts. Four B is the extra hepatic ducts alone. Okay. Woo.
1: Type five. So five, uh, by contrast, you have dilation of only the intrahepatic ducts. Uh, this is also known as Caroli's disease, and these you treat with transplant. Okay.
0: And there are the rare, there are cases where you can attempt a partial resect, resection if only one part of the liver um, is, is mostly affected. But yeah, I think the board answer is going to be transplantation for type 5. Okay. So those are colidocal cysts. Um, moving on to the liver. So a simple hepatic cyst. Again,
2: seeing more and more of these as we have, um, everybody gets a CT scan. So what do you do with these? Uh, simple hepatic cysts with no concerning features on imaging. Uh, you can just Do nothing if it's asymptomatic. If you aspirate these, uh, they will definitely come back. There's a 100% recurrence rate. Uh, Sometimes if patients are very symptomatic from a very large cyst or multiple cysts, you see sometimes a polycystic liver disease, uh, you can do laparoscopic cyst fenestration for these symptomatic cysts. And you should always send the capsule for pathology.
0: Yep. So small hepatic cyst, don't worry about them. Don't have to do anything. Uh, the larger symptomatic ones, cyst fenestration is going to be the answer. Um, just make sure you rule out other pathologies uh, like abscess, hydatid cyst, or, or malignancy. If there's any concern for that, you, you need an aspiration. You need to get your diagnosis first. Okay. So let's move on to some hepatobiliary, some more solid tumors. So, um, these, these will come up uh, a lot of times. This is great, um, questions for using imaging of showing you a CT scan or an MRI and then asking you how to treat that. So, um, as we go through these, if you don't know what they look like on imaging, you should Google it and find out. Um, so woo, let's start off with the most common, uh, hemangioma. Uh, tell us a little bit about those.
1: Yeah, so hemangiomas are, again, the most common liver tumor. They have a male predominance, and they have equal distribution in the liver. Uh, They are congenital vascular malformations. They're generally asymptomatic. But when they do have symptoms, they can cause pain, compressive symptoms. Uh, Rarely, they can cause hemorrhage, inflammation, and coagulopathy uh, this is actually known as the Kasselbach-Meritt syndrome.
0: And what is that kasselbach Merritt syndrome exactly?
1: So this is a consumptive coagulopathy that occurs uh, secondary to a large hemangioma. Right, a consumptive coagulopathy. Um, okay, what do, uh, what do hemangiomas look like on a CT scan? Classically, these have a hypodense appearance in the pre-contrast phase. In the arterial phase, they have peripheral central enhancement. And then in the delayed series, they show persistent contrast. Okay, yep, that's and those are those are key words there, especially that peripheral central enhancement
0: on RTRL phase of the C T for hemangioma. Okay, how about on MRI? On MRI,
1: these are going to be hypo intense on T one and hyper intense on T two.
0: Okay. And uh, treatment?
1: So for asymptomatic hemangiomas, observation what about, regardless of size. Okay. What
0: well, is there a risk of I mean, what 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 is there a risk of rupture? Won't these patients bleed to
1: death? Uh, so not for hemangiomas. Yep,
0: hemangiomas, no. So if they're asymptomatic, no matter how large um, and scary they look, you can leave them alone. Okay, for uh,
1: symptomatic, what do you do? So you resect symptomatic hemangiomas. Okay.
0: Kevin, moving on to the next is uh, another very common one, FNH, or the focal nodular hyperplasia. Uh,
2: it's the second most common liver tumor. Who does it affect and uh, how does it behave? So, yeah, we generally see this in women um, between the ages of 30 and 50. Uh, these are generally completely benign, um, and they're usually asymptomatic and found on just incidentally on imaging.
0: Okay, and on imaging, what do, what do they look like on CT scan?
2: So, thankfully, these have a nice buzzword for us that really helps us out, um, but they're well uh, demarcated. They have rapid arterial enhancement, and they have the central stellate scar. Yep, the FNH with the central stellate scar on CTs is, is classic. Okay, on MRI? uh on mri they're hypo intense with a central scar on t1 and then they're iso intense with hyper intense scar on t2 yep and again there's buzzwords associated with each of these definitely know
0: those but be aware that they could just show you an image and not use any of these buzzwords so it's not enough just to know the buzzwords you have to know what it looks like um so for fnh uh, what's the treatment uh you don't do anything for these Okay. As you mentioned before, they're completely benign, no malignant malignant potential, no bleeding risk. Okay. So, let's move on to
1: uh, woo, adenoma. Uh, Tell us about adenomas. So, adenomas are rare. Uh, In the question stem, look for OCP use or androgen or steroid use. Um, They have a malignant transformation in 10%. Uh, They have a risk of rupture that increases with the size uh, with 30% risk of spontaneous bleeding if the tumor size is greater than 5 centimeters they can present with pain, abdominal fullness, abnormal LFTs, or bleeding from rupture.
0: Yeah, this is one of those things that it, it adenoma, you think, oh, it sounds benign. It sounds, it sounds uh, not scary, but there is a pretty decent malignant p- potential and a pretty decent uh, risk of rupture. So uh, these are things you have to take seriously. What do they look like on imaging, on CT scan? So look
1: for arterial enhancement with washout in the portovenous phase. Uh, additionally, they have a smooth surface with the tumor capsule, and they have a lack of that central scar. Okay. Um. And on MRI? On MRI, they're mildly hyperintense on both T1 and T2.
0: Okay. How do you treat uh,
1: adenomas? We mentioned that there's some complications, so I'm sure you have to do something about them. How do you make that decision? So if they're small and the patient is on OCPs, you want to stop the OCPs and see if they regress. If they're larger, so four centimeters or greater, or they have no regression after stopping OCPs, then you resect these. If the patient presents with rupture, then first line is IR embolization, then recover the patient, and then resect in an elective setting. Yeah, so it depends on the size
0: and depends on on what happens with it. So you have to do something about all of them. If they're small, you can stop try stopping the OCPs, and if it completely regresses, okay. Um, if it doesn't regress, or if it's larger than four centimeters, that resects. They may give you somebody who has, you know, an adenoma
2: that has already ruptured, and the first step in that is IR embolization. Uh, one quick uh, point to make on an additional radiologic study, if you're helping to differentiate between a focal nodular hyperplasia and adenoma, as the treatment for these is very different. Uh, so sometimes um, they'll do a sulfur colloid scan um, to determine the difference. And what you'll see in the focal nodular hyperplasia is you'll see that there actually are functioning cupfer uh, cells that will take up the nuclear radiotide throughout the um, focal nodule hyperplasia lesion, whereas in adenomas, you'll see an absence of the nuclear uh, radioisotope taken up throughout the central um, aspect of the adenoma, and you'll really only see it on the periphery. Yeah, so you, you think about that, the adenoma is
0: an overgrowth of of, of certain uh, cell types, so it doesn't have those cup for cells, or if it does, their function is diminished, so they will not take up the sulfur colloid, and FNH will, so that's a, a great point, Kevin, that's a good way of, of delineating those two if there's any diagnostic confusion. Okay, so that uh, leads us right into our hepatocellular
1: carcinoma. Uh, so, what are some
0: risk factors for hepatocell- hepatocellular
1: carcinoma? Yeah, so think of any sort of inflammation in the liver as a key risk factor for hepatocellular carcinoma. So hep B, hep C, cirrhosis of any cause, uh, any inherited errors of metabolism like uh, hemochromatosis or alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, as, as well as aflatoxins. And how do these look on CT scan? So, on CT, they have a characteristic hypervascular lesion that is hyperintense during the arterial phase and hypodense during the delayed phase. Okay.
0: So, let's say you have a patient that has a CT scan that looks uh, like uh, they have a risk factor, they have a history of hep B, and they have a a CT scan that looks like a a hepatocellular carcinoma. Um,
1: Do you want to biopsy that? or? So, these can actually be diagnosed on imaging alone, and biopsy carries significant risk. So, in these patients, you do not biopsy. Well, you say
0: you say on imaging alone, but what else do you need? Uh, that's right. So, having an elevated AFP level can also be helpful
1: in the diagnosis. Right. So, if you have a
0: characteristic lesion on imaging and you have an elevated AFP, uh, you do not need a biopsy. You can make the diagnosis. Uh, what's the role of a PET scan in these patients?
1: There is no role for PET.
0: Yep. So, this is one of the cancers where you do not get uh, a PET scan. Um. Okay, so just some most common. So what's the most common site of, of metastasis for hepatocellular carcinoma? The lung. Okay, Kevin, walk us through some principles of management for this hepatocellular carcinoma.
2: Right, so in general, you want to resect these if possible. Uh, so resection is indicated for cure if it's a solitary mass without major vascular inter- invasion and adequate liver function. Uh, so you have to evaluate these patients for, you know, do they have underlying cirrhosis that's complicating this? And then how much of the liver would you have to take out and how much function would they have once that liver is taken out? Um, Resection is possible, but controversial for limited major vascular invasion or multifocal disease that is resectable. Okay. So you mentioned
0: there that you have to have, so some a lot of, a lot of things in there. So solitary mass without major vascular invasion and adequate liver function. How do you determine adequate liver function?
2: So there's a special, I believe it's a CT scan that does uh, f- that they can protocol that does future liver remnant, um, and this will help give you an idea of how much uh, function the liver has.
0: Yeah, so you need a volumetric analysis to determine your future liver remnants. Uh, so how much what how much future uh, liver remnant is needed?
2: So, the liver has an amazing uh, capability to regenerate. So, if there's no cirrhosis, you can take out 75% of the liver, leaving only 25% behind in a healthy, otherwise healthy liver. And what about if you do have uh, mild cirrhosis? So a child's A uh, cirrhosis patient, they they need 30 to 40% uh, future liver remnant in order to safely resect it. So let's say
0: you have a patient that looks like they have a resectable lesion, but their future liver remnant isn't just quite enough. Are there options?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you can consider preoperative portal vein embolization to try to grow that FLR. Yeah, exactly. So you, you do
0: selective, uh, port, or you do portal, selective portal vein embolization uh, with the idea um, that uh, the good, the part, remaining part of the liver will hypertrophy, and and then
2: you'll increase your future liver remnant. This may be obvious to most people, but you do an embolization of the disease side. Yes, thank you, Kevin.
0: All right, so let's walk. Let's let's go through this. Okay, so you have a patient with a paracellar carcinoma that looks resectable. Uh, they have no cir- cirrhosis, or they're a um, uh, child's A. What are what are you going to do with that
1: patient? Here, you resect. Okay,
0: so let's, so let's say they have moderate to severe st- cirrhosis, but they have an early stage, uh, what looks like a resectable um, lesion.
1: So this is the patient you would consider for transplantation.
0: Okay, and are there any criteria for for? for transplantation with the hepatocellular carcinoma?
1: Yes, these patients have to meet the Milan and UNOS criteria. Okay. So essentially they need one lesion less than five centimeters or three or fewer lesions all less than three centimeters as well as no gross vascular or extrahepatic spread. Okay, say that one more time because that's important. So the Milan criteria, what is the Milan criteria? So one lesion that's less than five centimeters or three or fewer lesions that are all less than three centimeters and no gross vascular or extrahepatic spread. Okay. Kevin, what about patients who aren't candidates
0: for surgical curative treatments? Um, what are some local regional therapies?
2: Unfortunately, this ends up being a large majority of uh, patients with hepatocellular carcinoma due to underlying liver conditions. Uh, so they should be considered in patients that are not surgical uh, curative treatments. So these are, and sometimes these can be bridges to curative therapy if the um, tumor responds well. So one of the more common ones is ablation, which can be done by the interventional radiologist through a number of ways. This can be radiofrequency ablation, cryoablation, microwave ablation. These are best for small lesions. And sometimes actually uh, the surgical oncologist will do these in the operating room. Uh, Then there's the arterially directed therapies, um, sometimes called TACE. And these can be uh, considered for uh, unresectable tumors greater than five centimeters. And then there's also a role for external beam radiation therapy. Uh, for good, these are good for lesions that are not amenable, not amenable to ablation or taste due to the tumor location. Uh, yeah, so that's that's where you really have to consider, you know, the location of the
0: tumor, um, uh, if it's uh, near any very you know vital structures, and kind of tailoring an approach. And you know, generally, there's very you know in, in extensive tumor liver liver tumor boards that where everybody meets and kind of goes in, in, into a, a um, personalized treatment for each patient. But uh, these are just kind of general things that to, that to know for, for board purposes. Okay, moving out of hepatocellular carcinoma onto cholangiocarcinoma. Um,
1: how do we break up cholangiocarcinoma uh, when thinking about it? So you want to think about these uh, in the intrahepatic and extrahepatic categories.
2: And and Kevin, what are some risk factors for cholangiocarcinoma? So uh, primary sclerosing cholangitis, which can be seen in patients with ulcerative colitis, uh, uh, bile duct stones, choledocal cysts, as we discussed earlier. Uh, Then there's some more rare things such as uh, liver fluke infections, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, and just anything that causes uh, chronic inflammation of the bile ducts. Okay. So, we we said that you want to break it up into intrahepatic and extrahepatic disease,
0: because um, that, that'll change how you approach it. So, how do you want to approach uh, an intrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma?
1: So, for here, you want to think about the role of preoperative biopsy, and in, in an intrahepatic cholangiocarcinomas, preop biopsy is not necessary if you have radiographic and clinical evidence that suggests malignancy. So primarily, you would go with a diagnostic laparoscopy, uh, first to rule out any disseminated disease. Uh, During the time of the diagnostic laparoscopy, you want to look for lymph node metastasis past the port hepatis, as well as distant mets, uh, which would contraindicate resection. You also want to look for any multifocal liver disease, because this is generally not amenable to resection. When you then move on to do the hepatic resection, you're looking for a negative margin as your goal. So a formal anatomic resection, a wedge resection, or segmental resection can be attempted, but again, you're looking for that negative margin. Yeah, again, there's another one that you don't
0: need a biopsy for if the imaging is characteristic. Um, however, if you, if you, based on your imaging, you think that uh, it is a resectable lesion, you do need to perform a diagnostic laparoscopy uh, prior to doing any resection. And then for resection, you know, the goal is is an R zero resection, and that's going to depend on uh what, to what extent the cholangiocarcinoma affects liver. If it um, affects multifocal disease, well, uh, that's this is not one of those cases, at least not on the boards where you can be doing a transplant as in hepatocellular carcinoma. So that is would be considered unresectable disease. Um, okay, how about uh, extrahepatic uh,
1: cholangiocarcinoma? So for extrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma, the basic principle is still complete resection with negative margins. You're also gonna do a regional lymphadenectomy. Uh, so for hilar carcinomas, in order to be resectable, you have to have the contralateral hemi liver intact uh, in both the arterial and portal flow, as well as biliary drainage has to be uninvolved with the tumor. Uh, for these patients, you're gonna reconstruct generally with a Roux-en-Y hepaticojejunostomy. Uh, and this differs in contrast to the distal cholangiocarcinoma, where you really can't do this, and so you're obligated to do a Whipple procedure.
0: Right. So extrahepatic cholangiocarcinoma, you need to resect and perform a biliary reconstruction. If it's a distal lesion, you'll likely need to do a Whipple. Um, for those higher ones, those can be very difficult, uh, especially uh, it's not always clear on imaging whether the contralateral liver is involved, but uh, you need to have an uninvolved contralateral liver in order for that to be resectable. Okay, uh, we've covered hepatocellular carcinoma, we've covered cholangiocarcinoma. carcinoma, we've talked earlier briefly about gallbladder polyps, but let's talk about gallbladder cancer. Uh, Kevin, risk factors, gallbladder cancer. Uh,
2: so chronic inflammation, a uh, porcelain gallbladder, Uh polyps greater than one centimeter, a typhoid infection, and then uh, primary sclerosing cholangitis and uh, inflammatory bowel disease. Okay. Now you mentioned porcelain
0: gallbladder. I'm going to bring that b- back up because it's a little bit controversial. I remember learning in med school that this is almost pathognomonic for gallbladder cancer. If you, you had a patient with porcelain gallbladder, is, is that still the case? Uh, no, it's it's a much lower risk than was previously thought. Yeah, so porcelain gallbladder does not equal gallbladder cancer. Uh, some studies have shown that it's no increased risk. Um, so it's if it's an inc- if it is an increased risk for gallbladder c- cancer, it's likely a very small I- increased risk. So Wu, walk me through some uh, principles of surgical management for for gallbladder cancer. I'll tell you first. Uh, let's say you do a uh, laparoscopic cholecystectomy for symptomatic cholelithiasis, and the pathology reports comes back that there was a uh, malignancy there. It's called bladder cancer The the pathologist is saying it's a T1A, which means uh, it invades only the lamina propria. How, what do you want to do there?
1: Yeah, so look for that T1A invading only the lamina propria, because at that point. Uh, for a T1A tumor, a cholecystectomy alone is treatment enough. You're surgically complete at that point. You don't need any additional therapy. However, for T1B tumors and greater, so anything that invades the muscle layer or beyond, you're going to need the cholecystectomy as well as limited hepatic resection. Typically, you're going to do segments four, B and 5 as well as a portal lymphadenectomy. Yep, exactly. So if there's any, if if it's a gallbladder cancer and it's
0: T1A only invades lamina propria, cholecystectomy, you're done. Uh, If it's T1B, um, it invades the muscle layer. So if you see that it invades any muscle layer there, um, you need to do cholecystectomy, segment 4B5 resection, and lymph node, lymphadenectomy. Uh, more aggressive resections may be required for more advanced disease in order to obtain uh, negative margins, but th- those are the classic ones that they're going to give you there. Okay, so that wraps up hepatobiliary, so let's let's jump right into our, our quick hits. Uh, so, Kevin, you have a patient with colorectal cancer and an I- isolated liver metastasis. He receives neoadjuvant full fox therapy and uh, restaging shows complete radiological response. What do you want to do
2: with that, uh, that side of the metastasis? So, even though the patient has no further evidence of colorectal metastasis to the liver, you still want to perform a hepatic resection as a complete pathologic response is rare. Right, exactly. So, just because you
0: can't see it on an image anymore doesn't mean it's not there. Okay, woo. Uh, a patient has an
1: asymptomatic uh, cholelithiasis as well as a 5 millimeter gallbladder polyp. So, this patient has both stones and a 5-millimeter polyp. Uh, I would do a cholecystectomy because the risk of malignant transformation within gallbladder polyps has been linked to concurrent cholelithiasis.
0: Yep. So, all those you know size cutoffs we mentioned earlier, the 6-millimeter, the 10-millimeter, uh, and it would be okay to watch uh, or really not do anything with a, a polyp that would be f- uh, 5 millimeters in any other circumstances, if they have concurrent stones... Uh, That is a marker for an increased risk of malignant transformation, and those patients do need a cholecystectomy. Uh, Kevin, what's the highest negative predictive
2: value for choledocholathiasis? So you look at the GGT, or the beta-glutamyl transpepsidase. uh, Nailed it. Normal GGT has a 97% negative predictive value.
0: Correct. Perfect. Okay. Woo. Uh, so, you have a, you have a patient who had had a prior gastric bypass, a Roux-en-Y gastric bypass, and, and now they, have, they present with uh, signs and symptoms of cholelithiasis.
1: What do you want to do there? So, here, preoperatively, you would prefer to do an ERCP, but a traditional ERCP won't work due to the Roux-en-Y gastric bypass anatomy, so you would do a transgastric ERCP.
2: I have one caveat to that, which I saw in a question bank recently is that if they do have the double balloon, uh, endoscopy where they can do an ERCP, that was actually in a question bank. Uh, you can consider that cause they can reach the, um, Papilla by using the balloon technique with endoscopy. Yeah, that's a good point.
0: That, that's a, the key there is just knowing that if your patient's a bypass, you can't do a traditional ERCP. You can't get there. So either if you have advanced endoscopic that can kind of snake around and get there with a double balloon endoscopy, uh, great. Um, I think probably the more common thing is going to be the transgastric uh, ERCP. Um, okay, woo. Uh, hepatocellular carcinoma found in a young patient with cirrhosis. What what are you thinking of
1: a young patient? Um, that has a hepatocellular carcinoma. So a young patient without cirrhosis, I'm thinking fibrolamellar variant. Uh, this has a better prognosis. Recurrence is common. And the marker for this is neurotensin. Yep, so that's just one of those things.
0: A young patient without cirrhosis develops hepatocellular carcinoma. It's likely the fibrolamellar variant. Um should know that it does have a better prognosis. And the, the tumor marker for that one is neurotensin, which uh, I don't have to tell you guys at this point, but tumor markers are highly testable. Okay, uh, Kevin, incidental finding of adenocarcinoma invading the lamina propria layer of the gallbladder wall following a cholecystectomy.
2: No further treatment. Cholecystectomy is enough.
0: Okay, how about if it's invading the muscularis propria?
2: So, cholecystectomy with a level uh, 4 and 5 liver resection along with a portal node dissection. Okay, so, yep, uh,
0: resection, segment 4B and 5, portal lymphadenectomy. What are the tumor stages the t stages t one a and t one b yeah t one a is the lamina propria t one b is the muscularis propria uh so let's say you're going back you go back to the o r for your resection of your four b five um in your lymphadenectomy. do you need to excise you' you'd previously done a laparoscopic cholecystectomy. do you, do you need, need to excise the port sites uh,
2: n- no, yeah,
0: it used to be yes, um but this has been a controversial area, but there's no benefit, so you do not need to excise the port sites when you go back. Um. Okay, woo. I'm just going to say isolated gastric varices. What do you think?
1: So, splenic vein thrombosis secondary to pancreatitis.
0: Yep. So, isolated gastric varices, gastric varices, uh, most commonly caused by splenic vein thrombosis, most commonly caused by pancreatitis. What's the, the treatment for that? Splenectomy. Splenectomy will be curative for that. Uh, Kevin, last one. Patients four weeks after hospitalization for a car accident with a liver laceration who was managed non-operatively. Uh, He now presents with an upper GI bleed. Um, What's your first step? This has
2: definitely been on one of my exams.
0: Uh, So you're going to do an EGD. Okay. Yep. As with any upper GI bleed, usually the first step is EGD. Um, So you do that and you
2: see blood coming out of the, the duodenal papilla. What's the diagnosis? Right. So this is a hepatic artery to biliary duct fistula causing the hemobilia. And what's the treatment for that? The treatment is angioembolization. And that's
0: one of those things that'll be tricky because they're going to ask you what the first step is. So you have uh, somebody coming in with, the, you're going to know that they're going for hem- hemobilia. They're going to have the car accident. They're going to have the liver um, uh, the liver laceration. They're going to have an upper GI bleed. And they're going to give you an option of either doing an EGD or an angioembolization. You may be thinking, well, I'm going to need an angioembolization for this. But the first step is an EGD. Um, and then angioembolization for treatment. So it's a little bit of
2: test gamesmanship, but you have to, you have to really think through how the question is asked. And, uh, before we go into our last section of discussing liver, uh, resections, I just wanted to tell everyone there is a paper out there. If you go to PubMed and search a handy tool to teach segmental liver anatomy to surgical trainees, uh, the lead author is Dr. Polly. Uh, this gives you a way of using your fist, your right fist to denote the liver uh, segments and I, f- I find it really easy and I learned this as like an R2 and I've used it ever since so uh, maybe you go look that up and then listen to this next uh 30 seconds here as we go over our liver sections uh, so uh, woo what's uh what co- uh, this will be our last for our
0: quick hits but woo what constitutes a, a right liver resection segments five six
2: seven and eight. Five, six, seven, 8. Uh Kevin left so this is your two three and four. Plus or minus the um, eight. Okay, so woo, left lateral segmentectomy. Two and three. Kevin, extended right. So for your extended right, you're going to have all the same ones as your right, which is five, six, seven, eight. But
1: you're going to add in four there also. Woo, extended left. So you're going to start with the left, which is two, three, and four. And then you're going to add on five and eight. All right, that does it for Behind the Knife's hepatobiliary review. Uh, we'll see you next time.